Hey, so glad you could join us for another episode of the Art of Coaching podcast. I get a question for you guys. What if I told you that you can be amongst the most skilled in your profession, whatever that is, however you define your, your job title and, and what you do, uh, where you have this kind of subject matter expertise, but that politics and power dynamics can completely strip you of your ability to make the biggest difference possible with your athletes. Now, this is the reality of the sometimes Machiavellian environment in professional sport and really high-level organizations of any kind. And that is exactly what we're going to discuss today on the show, specifically the aftermath of what happens when you are subject to those things. First, a few updates. If you guys are already on the newsletter, then you likely have already benefited from the $100 discount from my online course, Valued. We've been putting out tons of information on that. If you guys aren't on the newsletter, again, that's always where I send updates of where I'm going to be, special rates and discounts, all those things. I know a lot of you come from social media and welcome. I'm happy to have you, but that's not the area where I'm always able to go in the most depth or context. So the newsletter is definitely your jam if that's the case. Now, if you haven't been listening or it's your first time listening, Valued is an alternate MBA of sorts for coaches who want to be able to take more control over their career so they can prevent getting stuck, fired, or looked over uh, looked over for positions they have the skill set to attain. Because really, that's happened to almost all of us, or at least somebody that we know at some point in our career. Now, whether you find yourself not even getting considered for a role, not hearing back after submitting a resume, maybe you've lost business to some hokey trainer down the street, or you're simply trying to refine your own brand building or hiring practices, that's what Valued, my course, is replete with. Resources that can guide you and give you strategies for dealing with all those things. Now, it is evergreen at valuedcourse.com. Again, that's Valued course.com or you can also find it through artofcoaching.com so it's super easy and we offer group discounts partnership rates and the like it's actually been really cool we see a lot of coaches that say hey i want my staff to go through this this is great continuing ed and so no worries we have you guys locked in with that a couple updates on travel we've had some requests from listeners that say hey periodically can you tell us where you're going to be and i'd love to i mean we put this on the newsletter as well but i also want as many people as possible uh, to know where we're going to be because I want to meet up with you guys, especially if you're in the area and you happen to have some time to swing by. It gets tricky for me, guys. Um, sometimes I'll travel internationally, which is really tough already because I got, as it, at the time of this recording, a five-week-old. So I usually have to get in and out. And it really bugged me when people felt like, hey, you're in town. Can you grab some coffee or this and that? And it was just pretty much impossible because, you know, you want to honor your host. You can't break away. They're the main reason you're there. A lot of times I just kind of Uber, or I have really tight timelines, so I can't always get everywhere. So I want to make sure that you know where I'm going to be so that if you want to come, we can interact super easy. So we are going to be doing apprenticeships. These are our new two-day live workshops on how to become a more effective communicator, how to become a better coach and better leader. We're going to be in Winnipeg, March 7th and 8th. And you guys will be able to find all these on artofcoaching.com in the events section or you can simply go to artofcoaching.com backslash events before I keep going. So Winnipeg, March 7th and 8th, we'll be doing another one in Atlanta. We have one uh, this weekend, or we just had one, I guess, by the time you guys hear this. Um, we'll be doing another one April 18th and 19th. We're going to be in Chicago, May 2nd, May 3rd, Perth, Australia. Uh, just want <laughs> I love all my Australian friends. Australians like a second. Australia is like a second home to me. So I'm really excited to get back there. May 16th and 17th, I'm going to be in Perth. I'm going to be in Newberry Park, California, on May 30th and 31st, doing a uh, apprenticeship. 
We're going to be in Renton, Washington, just outside of Seattle, with my friend Luca Hosevar, June 13th and 14th, doing an apprenticeship. We'll be in Santa Monica, June 27th and 28th, and also in Charleston, South Carolina, July 25th and 26th. Again, you can see all of those, including this specific location, dates, details, rates, early bird discounts, all of that, at artofcoaching.com backslash events, or just go to artofcoaching.com and check the events. We'll also link it in the show notes. All right, now on with Darren Burgess. Now, this was recorded in mid-2019 when Darren had just departed from Arsenal FC. And for those of you that may not be in sport, uh, this is a professional football organization, as they call it the rest of the world. Uh, for those of you in America, you know it as soccer, of course. And they compete in the Premier League. Now, he is now the performance manager, the high performance manager at Melbourne FC, which resides in the world of AFL. So Darren has a tremendous story here. He was incredibly vulnerable. He was in a position that most people would absolutely kill to be in during certain periods of their career. And, you know, this is basically a masterclass of the things that can happen. As a side, you know, a lot of people get into the field and they think, hey, it's just going to be about the sets and the reps and I'm going to know the science and I'm going to do my job. No organization really works that way at the highest level. There are always political realities. There are always curveballs that are going to be thrown at you. And what I love about this episode is we got Darren on when this was still fresh. So you will hear it in his voice. You'll understand all these points. And I really, really encourage you guys to make sure that you do the podcast reflection that comes with this. They're always free. They're at artofcoaching.com slash podcast reflections, because when you can dive into material this deep and the emotional resonance and the things that Darren says he's had to deal with both with himself and his family as a byproduct of what he went through during this transition, when you really key in on that, guys, you're going to be so much more prepared for when these things and if these things happen to you. And I hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't, but we all inevitably inevitably deal with change and you need to be as prepared as possible. All right, on with the episode. I'm always honored to have you guys on. I really appreciate you. Continue to give me your feedback. Talk to you soon. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I wanna thank you for joining me, and now let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Art of Coaching Podcast, everybody. I'm excited today. I have a good friend of mine and somebody who is a really, really unique individual in this industry, both in the way that he thinks, the way that he encourages others to think more deeply, and the way that he's just navigated his career and the relationships with everybody around him, Darren Burgess. Darren, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brett. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, I really respect what you're doing in the industry outside of this podcast, but this podcast has just added another layer, mate. So it's uh, outstanding, mate. 
I appreciate that. No, I, and it was a no brainer to get you on because I think, you know, in the short amount of time we've known each other, one thing that I've always respected about you is that you've always been very candid. You're not somebody that speaks in vagaries, right? You're not somebody that vacillates back and forth about a lot of different opinions. You kind of call it how you see it. And that's definitely what we want on this podcast. But just so everybody can get a little bit more familiar with you, would you mind giving a bit of detail about your background? Yeah, I, I won't go in. I've heard a few podcasts recently across, you know, the various podcast spectrums that we, we fitness professionals uh, listen to where people have given a 15-minute spiel about their background and, you know, so I won't go into that. But essentially, uh, I've been in the industry now 24 years um, and I've shuffled between uh, AFL, uh, Australian Rules Football and and soccer, I guess. Uh, uh, most I guess most notably with Liverpool as head of fitness conditioning, with Port Adelaide as a high performance manager, and uh, most recently with Arsenal Football Club as a director of performance or director of high performance. Uh, I've been released from Arsenal uh, uh, probably two months, yeah, maybe maybe a bit less than that, maybe six, seven weeks ago now, and uh, I'm just about to start with uh, Melbourne uh, Demons Football Club in the AFL as a high-performance uh, manager there. So uh, in between jobs, unemployed, enjoying uh, spending time with the kids at the moment. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that's that's pretty much the history, mate. I won't, I won't go on anymore. No, that's perfect. And, and getting right to the point with that, something that we try to do on this podcast a lot is just talk about things that oftentimes get swept under the rug, whether it's in coaching culture, performance culture, organizational culture as a whole, no matter what anybody and deals with or, or works in. Now, you talked about how you were let go. And I feel like that is always something that is is really tough to process, not only in regards to a professional, but also personally for family reasons. But being let go isn't something that's talked about often in this field. And, you know, nobody seems to really share a lot about how they navigated those times and what really went is going through their mind. And, you know, you see a lot of things happen during that transition. Friends drop off and you start to find out who's really in your corner and who's not. Have you dealt with any of that? Or what's that process been like for you to be at a place like Arsenal and now to find yourself in transition? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's been a, as hard a two months as I've had, uh, in my professional and, and also, you know, in a lot of ways, my personal, uh, life to be honest, Brett. And, uh, how have I navigated it? Uh, yeah, with a lot of self-reflection and, and fortunately um, it's been the school holidays so I've just come back from uh, basically three weeks in Australia and, and then a week uh, in the Middle East just holidaying with the kids so that's helped a lot but there's been some dark times you know there's been some times where um, uh, I've sort of questioned did I the, the way I went about it at Arsenal um, it, it would be really easy and a lot of people have have said it to me that, oh, well, you know, that's, that's professional sport and it was bound to happen sooner or later because I was lucky enough that it hasn't happened to me uh, as yet. Um, but, yeah, I'd prefer not to be like that and not just say, well, that's professional sport, you know, um, I'm sure they, they settled your contract and things like that, so it's all, all fine. Um, but, no, it's, it, it's been tough. Um, it, it's been tough. I, I don't know how much detail you want to go into, but in terms of the – you know, in terms of the role that I was brought in for and uh, what sort of happened uh, or, or how it came about, that's, that's probably not necessarily the point. Uh, suffice to say that um, 
yeah, I, I was brought in as part of a team that uh, uh, that came in for a specific purpose, I guess, and then uh, every person in that team that was brought in at the same time as me left uh, the club or, or was sacked from the club. So um, I remember somebody telling me that I was that I was, you know, probably pretty exposed. Um, what do you mean by thought, that? No, no, Sorry, no. could I stop you right there? What do you, when you say exposed, what do you mean in, in that context, if you don't mind kind of going in depth there? Ah, no problem. Well, well the, the CEO left to go and get, a, a, to go for, to get another job. Uh, the head coach or the manager that had been there for 23, 24 years had left. Um, and they were the two people that essentially hired me and I was hired along with a, um, you know, with a couple of other people to do a specific job. And, and that job was to develop the talent that we that we had on in the club, and the talent that we signed. And so, when the people that I was hired with were uh, were no longer at the club, or the people that hired me, um, that obviously leaves you thinking, okay, you're going to be under a new regime, a new manager, a new CEO, a new you know football director, or whatever it is. Um, yeah, so they don't know me, they didn't hire me, it wasn't their decision. So, you know, in football, often in those moments, um, you, you actually get sacked anyway when there's a change in, in regimes. And I remember at Liverpool, for instance, when Kenny Dalgleish got sacked and uh, Brendan Rodgers came in, uh, Brendan Rodgers and I had a great relationship, but his first words to me were, do you know what, I wanted to sack you. And I just said, hi, Brendan, I'm Darren. How are you? Nice to meet you. And, <laughs> That's a great introduction uh, right there. Yeah, yeah. And he said, look, I, I, and fair play to him. He just said, uh, I want to be honest with you, mate. I wanted to bring my own person in. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I've been told by the owners that, that, you know, you're good at what you do. So why don't we give each other six months and see how it goes? And that's all you can ask for. So... That, you know that that wasn't quite it wasn't quite as open as that with Arsenal, and and as I said, ended up uh, ended up finishing the year. But after that, was was sort of uh, um, yeah, we're sort of told that I should perhaps look elsewhere. All right, so let's talk about this for a moment. So you mentioned the CEO left, a manager who had been there, I believe you said twenty three years had left. These are the people that have brought you in. Now, this is where it gets tricky, right? Because people in our industry, when you come up in, in coach development or performance culture, not really, we're not really taught how to deal with that, right? Like, and, and this is, I think, something that frustrates us both is that we spend a lot of time arguing about little things in this field and, and not always little things. I mean, performance issues are, are big in their own right. But then when it comes to navigating politics and ego in the industry and power dynamics and you know, high performance at what cost, you know, where, where, what can coaches learn from this? I mean, cause people hear you say Arsenal and people look at your resume and this, these are the jobs that coaches of all ages look at and they're like, man, if I could land that. And they think they want those things. And many of them truly do, but what are they not taught about like, all right, well, you can get that job, but this is what comes with it that nobody is telling you about. What are those things, Darren? Yeah, it's gee whiz. We could go on for a while. Oh, you got, and you, I have you got to as be, long as you want to. You got as long yeah. as you want. Well, I, I should probably say I have to be careful um, what I say. I'm really determined, uh, like you, to improve. Uh, well, uh, whether I'm improving the industry or not is up, uh, up for debate, but I'm really determined, like yourself, to open up the industry. It's why at every conference I go to, I just put up real data. I don't say, well, this is my latest paper, and, you know, every single 
time, you know, we, we, we meet at conferences, we, we keep the conversation about real things. So I try and do that, but I do have to be careful. Sure, because, yeah, and, and, uh, I want, and I want to make sure, I mean, like I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about your role at Arsenal, but you've been around the block a long time, right? You've had, you've had a lot of discussions with people at some of the highest level of sport. You've brought people into your environment. I just mean in general, in general, when people get these yeah. jobs that they believe is the golden goose, what should, like if you were to create a presentation even, if you were to give them a little handbook that talks to them about how to navigate politics and you go like, what, what, it's almost kind of the, the contraindications of saying like, hey, you got this job, it's great. Now, understand this about the people and power dynamics you're going to deal with. Are there any, some general things that you could tell a coach listening that could help prepare them? Yeah, I guess you can't underestimate the power of, uh, to get right to the point of, uh, I'll call it job protection. Um, you know, there are a lot that, uh, as you said, uh, the highlight of their life is to sit front row at Anfield or to sit front row at, um, you know, at Madison Square Garden or whatever it might be, and they will ho- hold on to that for dear life. Um, and what that can create is is a, an unstable environment. And, it, and no matter how much, and we went through and I've, I've uh, spoken to you about this uh, a couple of times uh, in the past, and I've heard you talk on it. We, we went through staff profiling. We went through uh, uh, to make sure we had the right balance of staff. You know, in terms of insights profiling, we we brought in external people to talk to the group about collegiality and bringing the group together. And uh, this is the performance team. Um, and no matter how much uh, you you bring that into a, a department. Um, you know the 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 allure of the um, of the stadium and the allure of the athlete can often um, can often get in the way. You know, and and that that was probably um, the thing that I learned at Liverpool, certainly, um, uh, just because that was my first exposure to real, you know, global superstars. Um, you know, on the, on the highest level and the things that people will do, not just, um, you know, fitness and medical staff, but, but coaches and, and directors and, and things like that to, to keep athletes happy is quite astounding um, in terms of, uh, you know, going back on their own principles and compromising programs and things like that. It's, it's, it's quite extraordinary what, what people will do. And I'm, I'm certainly not saying this happened at Arsenal or anything like that, but it's certainly a lesson that I've seen across the, you know, the many organizations that I've visited is as much as you try. And I, you know, I spent an extraordinary amount of money on, um, you know, on staff outings and, and things like that um, to, to, because I, I felt one of the weaknesses of my personality is that uh, I'm the guy who, goes out to the staff dinner, but then when it comes to uh, to having a drink afterwards, uh, the guys at Port Adelaide Maccas used to call me the smoke bomb because I, <laughs> they'd look around and I wasn't there, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I made a real effort to to do all that sort of stuff in in, in my last few roles and, uh, you know, because nobody wants their boss to be around when it comes to, you know, having a drink or talking to a girl or something like that. So... Um, that, that was my, that was my logic. I'll get out of here and let the guys have some fun. Um, but I, you know, I, I try to do all that 
didn't quite work out. Um, so yeah, it's 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 something that I look back on, and, and I know I'm sort of rambling a bit, but I look back on and think, okay, what could I have done differently? And um, we, as a department, brought in and and you know, as part of my negotiations, for instance, in the contract was to get a department CPD, not my own. Not I didn't negotiate so that I could go across the world and pretend to learn something by turning up at Madison Square Garden and watching the Knicks play or it was department CPD. So we, we flew people in to talk to the department and, and flew experts in around the world and uh, you were one of those uh, that we couldn't quite get over the line in terms of our, our timing. Um, so in terms of the department CPD and, and they were not people that told us how to uh, squat better but they were people who, and if I rattle off the names, you, you, you'd understand people sure. who had told us how to think differently and to, you know, from Winkleman to um, Lorimer Mosley to Kerry Evans to, um, uh, well, from a recovery point of view, Shona Halson, from athletic preparation point of view, Stu McMillan. So, you know, really good people, uh, Ross Tucker, in, in the, uh, who just gave us a different perspective on all things performance. Uh, to try and help the department uh, grow together. And so in terms of what could I have done differently, um, yeah, I'm not sure I've answered your question. I've thought about it a lot. Uh, what I can say, Brett, which is probably the unpopular thing, um, is every single decision I made was in the best interest of the department. And it's certainly, there was absolutely, uh, I was given carte blanche at the start to get rid of every single person in the department and bring my own people in. And when I got the job at Arsenal, I probably had 25 text messages from different people, probably well-meaning but ignorant people, saying you need to get rid of everybody in that department because the media had portrayed the department as a fairly injury-prone sort of group, which was really unfair. Um, we didn't do that. I certainly didn't do that. Um, but what I do know is that every decision I made, whether it was to a player, to a staff member, to a coach, was in the best interest of the department. So after much soul-searching, I, I took and take a lot of comfort in that, 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 yeah, that every single decision, whether it was to have a staff night out or whether it was to uh, run a player after the game, was in the best interest of the team performance. So um, that helped me get through it a lot. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, you bring up something that's interesting, and I, I was thinking about this the other day when my mind was rambling, and I want to be clear for anybody listening, when you hear Darren talk about this, the, the amount of processing that goes on during a time like this, which I can certainly say I've had transitions in, in my life, not a lot of it always even makes sense to you at the moment, and, um, you know, Darren, I think you're doing a great job of just, like, even thinking through it and expressing emotions. Here's a funny thing, right, is... Boy, is that your excuse for me... For my rambling, just no, then? not at all. It's 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 it's, <laughs> it's, right, it's given context for what's about to come later on in this interview because I know that you know we're we're going to continue to find and excavate different things. But what you just said a moment ago is it, it really kind of brings home the point that blame, unlike credit, always seems to find a home. It really does. Like blame, you give it enough time, blame will always find a home. And like one thing that I felt like I dealt with that. Uh, and and I want you to either agree or disagree and us to have a discussion about this because this is what it is, is when when during my last transition, that's when I started to get more entrepreneurial. 
is I realized that, all right, it's kind of like training age for an athlete, right? At the beginning, they're going to do really simple things, whether that's goblet squats, whether that's push-ups, right? Young training age, we keep it really rudimentary. And as the training age progresses, we can advance loading strategies, movements, what have you. In the development of a coach, or let's just say a professional, you know, in this field, I feel like, you know, your, your early training age, so to speak, is learning all those X's and O's and tactical elements. But as you get old, like older in this field, not necessarily biologically, but just experientially, you realize that, all right, now these, these terms like buy-in, like politics, like power dynamics, like all these other things really become part of something you've got to focus on. And, you know, that's why I kind of say you, you've got to periodize your career, not just your programs, because we all find ourselves in some circumstances where we have to deal with uncertainty and chaos and loss. But where does that training age in terms of developmental coach development and professional development make sense to you? Or would you completely disagree? And, and I, I'm getting at this because you say, would I make some different decisions? I'm asking you, would those decisions be, do you feel like you did a bunch wrong on the training side or the, mon- the monitoring side? Or was it, hey, like just, man, the overall people issues and leadership issues, what where does that fit? Yeah, it's a great point. And, and probably I reckon throughout your career and, and, you know, I'm probably fortunate enough to go through at the age where there was no, you know, there was no internet, no Twitter, no Instagram, no anything uh, until I was well and truly established. I think 2010 World Cup was my first exposure to, to sort of online impact that that things can have and that's when i had about six followers in twitter on twitter so um i think throughout the career your career you get sprinkled with different programming things so you don't uh, the where the only part i disagree with you on that brett and i'm sure that wasn't intentional on your part the early days you learn your x's and o's but my x's and o's have certainly changed um over the years with with new research and perhaps new technologies and and being exposed to better people. So the first thing that I did when I got to ask was surround myself with smarter people, you know, is bring in some, so add to the group, add some really intelligent um, practitioners so that the X's and O's were well and truly taken care of. Now, as far as, as you grow now, at Port Adelaide in 2005, when I was high-performance manager, there was nine staff. Liverpool, I looked after about the same. With Arsenal, it, there was, at, at last count, 70-odd, you know, that were, that were reporting through to, to that role. And so there's bound to be uh, people you don't agree with, people you don't uh, um, who don't agree with you, more importantly, and people who blame you for various things now, of course, I would have made mistakes in the monitoring and the, um, you know, and, and the X's and O's, and, I, and I'm, I'm sure the people at the club and the players would probably be the first to put their hand up at different times. Uh, you know, we, we had a phenomenally, uh, we had phenomenally, phenomenal success in terms of reducing injury rates and things like that, but there were mistakes made. But where there is inevitably mistakes is in that personality clashes and um and navigating politics where i had no education in that now my strategy for doing that was to never or extremely rarely manage upwards and just really concentrate on 
on managing my immediate staff and uh, was that a success or not? That's for others to judge, not necessarily for me. Would I do it differently? No, because my priority was the performance staff around me and making sure they were as happy as they could be and making sure their feelings were heard, making sure they um, they were able to do their job. But I guess that's um, what I'm asking, and I don't mean to interrupt, but I guess that's what I'm asking you, Darren. Can that be our only priority anymore? You know, as, as coaches, like people that are brought up and, you know, what I was trying to say earlier wasn't denigrating X's and O's. It's saying that, hey, you have to understand that the load, like those things have to serve as the bedrock, not only for early days and later on, but what I'm saying, in addition, let's consider it like a block sequence or conjugate, whatever. Like we have to figure out, we have to do these things synchronously because this stuff, I guess what I'm getting at is why isn't there any education on this stuff? Do you think it's people not talking about it? Do you think it's, I mean, what clinic, did you go to a clinic where any of this was ever discussed where somebody said, Hey, right. Like, so what, what can be done from that standpoint? Like what are some clear, like clear cut things that you feel like need to be discussed more openly right now, whether it's at a major clinic, a private clinic in services, what do people need to be talking about on this front? Yeah, I think uh, change behaviour, which you're, you, as far as I know, you're leading the, you know, the industry in this in this regard, and how to actually influence people and bring people along to your uh, side of things. If you're going to be a leader, and even if you're not a leader in the industry, how to influence people, I think, is something that no one is taught, but should be. I think absolutely how to deal with. Um, you know, crisis like this, because it is. I mean, my kids are ripped out of school. I've got 60 days to leave the country in terms of visa, all things that no one thinks about wow, when they I didn't pull even the trigger. Know you had 60 days to leave the country? Yeah. Wow. And this is, this is, the, this is the part where people go, ah, you'll be right, you'll get another job, and, you know, that's okay. I'm sure they settled your contract and, and all those sorts of things. Hang on, mate. You know, my kids are literally ripped out of their school, and if I don't leave the country in 60 days, uh, I can't come back to the UK for 10 years. And how do you even explain that yeah. to them? What do you, I mean, what do you say to your kids when all of a sudden you find out, like how, how did you go about explaining that to them? Yeah, it was a tough one. It, it, there wasn't a dry eye in the room. Um, uh, my kids are eight and seven, so they were, um, they're old enough to know, but young enough not quite to know. And uh, yeah, they now hate Arsenal and go for Tottenham. <laughs> Um, so that's that's their their reaction to it, which is you know which which is fine. Um, I I can't bring myself to do that. Sure. But that's their philosophy. No, I just said, look, uh, our Daddy no longer works for Arsenal. I know we we all said we had you know another year, possibly more, but um, that's no longer the case. Um, they, they've brought in new people and they want to go on a different. I said they want to use different people, not Daddy, and. Yeah, they, they couldn't quite understand it. It was when I said that they had to leave their school and their friends um, that they were really upset. So, um, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a tough time, tough time. So I think dealing with that, how I dealt with that, to be honest, but I, I went, um, I put myself through a transcendental meditation course in 2013 and that's helped me a lot, it made me more has made me more self-aware. Can you explain that um, a little bit? Sorry, I'm just, uh, I want to make sure I understand what that sounds fascinating and I'm sure some viewers or listeners would like to hear more about that too. Would you mind? Yeah, no, the, no problem. I, I'd read a lot about meditation and the different formats 
um, the different forms it could take and done as much sort of YouTubing as I could. And I thought, you know what, this is not cutting through as much as it ought. So um, I was working for Port Adelaide, had a year or so at Port Adelaide at the time. And and uh, in that time, and, and some of the Australian listeners uh, will, will remember this, um, Port Adelaide had had some early success. We we were we were real crappy um, uh, for a while, and then we had some success. And um, uh, we, as part of my contract, the club had put myself and and two other people that they'd hired at the same time, the head coach and a director of coaching, sort of as as you know a new era or however they put it. And as part of my contract, I had to do X number of local media appearances and we started winning a few games so that gained a bit of traction and and uh yeah I was sort of labeled in different ways and my, my dad always told me if you stick your neck up you get shot at and I probably agreed to the contract that part of the contract a little too quickly and so uh, that was the time of the Essendon drug saga and a few of us fitness coaches were talking behind the scenes that we need to promote the industry better because we were getting slammed in the media yeah so that combination of things uh, led the, you know, the fitness guru and Port Adelaide outrunning opposition and all that sort of crap that, that uh, an over-mediated industry, which the AFL is. And, and I was sort of struggling to deal with some of the backlash within the fitness industry. I had friends turning up at conferences where they were putting newspaper articles uh, related to what we were doing up on screen and then having the next, the next 45 minutes critiquing the newspaper article. It didn't contain a quote from me or anyone at Port Adelaide, but, you know, these academics were up there saying, here's what's wrong with what Port Adelaide are doing. And, and I struggled to, to deal with that. And I, I just thought rather than get aggressive, which is my, um, my go-to, um, I need to be a bit more self-aware. So transcendental meditation as a long answer to a short question is a form of meditation that... Um, well, you have a mantra and you get taught over an extensive sort of three-month period. It's quite expensive, which is the one criticism of it amongst the sort of industry. Um, and you're just taught how to calm yourself and how to relax yourself into the meditation and, and you know, what you shouldn't, shouldn't be feeling. And, um, yeah, it's just a form of which there are plenty, particularly now of meditation. So, um I, I used that. I, I started using float tanks. Um, Incredible. At, at about the same time, which I could just cannot re- recommend enough. Um, uh, so that's about 2013, and then, then even in the last couple of years, I, I'm not uh, I'm not too Aussie male to admit. I started going to a, a therapist as well, uh, just to just to offer a very different perspective. And that was not a therapy about um, you know tell me about your dreams or. Sure. Um, you know, that, that type of thing. It was, okay, why are you doing that? Why are you? Yeah, self-reflection. Um, well, yeah, it was, and it, they were brutal, and they are brutal 90-minute sessions. Um, but uh, it's it certainly, you know, made me way more self-aware, and I think it's made me an infinitely better, um, you know, partner, father, um, uh, person in general infinitely better um yeah so I, I wanna, didn't help I wanna, me keep didn't help me keep my job right uh, well no but it helps you listen i mean that's that's listen 
Our, our, I, if Listen, you, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm, no, I'm I know, but I think, it, I think I, it's, I wouldn't regret it. It's worth talking about. I mean, this is the reason, part of the reason the podcast was born. This, we're, we're in a field right now where job security is a real issue, and it's what's causing people to clamor for. Well, we need more evaluations and this and that, and people continually forget that value is subjective to perception and it's subjective to politics, and you're not always going to be able to objectively, you know, clear out what what our role does and lends to it because ultimately people have agendas, right? And I want to stop on one point that you mentioned because you talked about the therapist and I think that that is always a tremendously, listen, when, when I went through a self-reflective exercise, that's what led to the uh, conscious coaching. I went through like these three stages of internal identification and I was just like, all right, I'm going to lay these things out and I'm just going to like get deep into why I do certain things the way I do. Why do I view it this way? Because there is a lot of horse shit in our field where you ask people, why do you do what you do? Oh, to make a difference and to serve the athlete. And it's just, it's kind of generic top. And I, I, I'm a big believer in that when I was 15 years old and I was hospitalized every week, we had to meet with a therapist or a psychologist and some of them were quacks and they wanted you to take pills and this is a lot of what led to my journey of, of really wanting to seek deeper meaning into communication and, and how, cause right, like poor communication doesn't just cost results. It can cost people their lives. Um, but I mean, at 15, when my parents had gone through divorce and they're like, we want you guys to talk to somebody and this and that, and you go through those stages, almost like the stages of grief where you're like, screw you. I don't need to talk to you. And then, but that yes. stuff probably helped me grow up. Now it also caused problems where like now I almost couldn't relate to kids I went to school with because I just looked at a lot of the people I went to school with and they just wanted, you know, a lot of them did drugs and this and that. And I almost kind of like, I, you know, I felt like I was the oldest high school kid because I'm like, I need to make a difference in this world. Um, but going through the ugly parts of yourself and the parts where you have to like kind of question these behaviors and the parts that you have to reflect when people talk about what's an important strategy in uh, performance. Almost nobody brings up talking to a therapist. Almost nobody brings up how I think teams have sports psychs and we know that, but some of them, uh, I don't know, necessarily get involved at that level. Uh, but I mean, how much could you recommend that? I mean, there, why, there's a stigma to it, but uh, you're saying that it helped you significantly, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and how could I recommend it more? I, 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 wrote, I read a book, picked up a book in a, in like a movie scene where it was a, in country, and I mean country, Australia, there was an old bookstore and a dust on it, dust the cover off, it was 1976 book called The Road Less Travelled by Peck. And uh, I think it's Peck, someone will correct me, I'm sure, but I read that in 2011, 12, and uh, it, it was one of those brutal, it was a psych, famous psychologist, and it's a reasonably well-known book in psychology apparently, um, and that, that made me think, I just know so little about this. And if we, if we don't believe in the power of psychology and the brain on everything from how you speak, how you communicate, how you present yourself, how you, what your beliefs are from a performance point of view and just as a, as a you know, person in society point of view, then, um, you know, and, and I probably went through, the first 10 years of my uh, coaching life thinking that it was all about the science and not about the psychology. Um, but yeah, it's certainly, uh, look, I'm by no means an expert. So please, you know, I don't think that I am, but I, I've at least been exposed to it enough 
to know the impact it can have. So I would absolutely recommend it enough. And it, yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be going to a therapist, but I can tell you now that uh, in three sessions um, that of the therapist that I happen to stumble across, um, I've learned more than in any of you know, the sort of self-help books that are pretty cool to talk about in the industry at the moment, you know, the, the, the art of war and the, you know, all the different books that, that um, are brought up at each, at each conference. And some of them are really good books and believe me, I'm an audible fiend. So um, I, I get a lot from them. Um, but to really go into a deep dive about yourself um, and why you do the things you do is a pretty harrowing, but re- ultimately, I believe anyway, rewarding experience, both personally and professionally. I can't tell you how much it's helped my professional, well, um, my professional decision making. Quick break here for a moment to recognize our sponsor, Momentus. We've talked about it on previous episodes, but I want to make sure you guys understand that if you're interested in nutrition at all whatsoever, Momentus also has a blog on their website. And we have dietitians from all over that are contributing information. And these are dietitians that have worked in the NBA, the NFL, even the fitness market. Guys, so no matter what you're into, there's something for you from an educational capacity on that blog at livemomentous.com. Also, if you guys are regular listeners and you're looking uh, you know, just for a product that you can give to guys and you don't have to worry about, okay, does this have banned substances? Does this have anything else I need to be on alert of? Momentus goes through some of the most rigorous testing procedures of any company I have ever seen. Not only are they NSF approved for sport, but they're also informed choice. They do tons of third-party testing, and they're constantly making sure that they're staying above board on all the latest and, or, or newest regulations and guidelines that come out. They're, they're absolutely obsessive about it. If you guys want to learn more, make sure to go to livemomentus.com backslash Brett. And you guys will get $20 off your first order by using code BRETT20 at checkout. Again, that's livemomentus.com backslash Brett. And just use the code BRETT20 at checkout and you guys will get $20 off your first order. Always want to thank Momentus for the support that they give us. And now back to the podcast. Because it helps you under, you can't understand other people unless you understand the behavior of yourself. And it's something that I get really frustrated at admittedly, this is a weakness of mine. I, you know, at one of the presentations I give, I talk about this, I talk about self-awareness and, uh, you know, how it's not just a key term, but it's a critical skill. And then I try to give some strategies of how we can break it down. And it's usually the part of the presentation where people kind of nod their head or yawn and they just kind of want to get to some other topics. But I sit here and say, this is a number one issue with coach development. And this is what the literature shows you know, most coaches either coach the way that they were coached or they coach the way they perceive a successful coach that they want to be like coaches. And that's an extreme lack of self-awareness that ultimately influences the way you communicate with hundreds of individuals in everyday life. And it's really hard to understand. Like I, you know, it's easy to cast aspersions. And my therapy with that was almost kind of like, all right, there are people that frustrate me in this world and there are power dynamics and shit that I had to deal with that I never saw coming. And I can get mad at that or I can seek to understand it. And I was like, well, first of all, do I do this stuff? Like, where do I do it? Um, uh, subconsciously, where do I do it here? And then that just took me down a rabbit hole. But yeah, I mean, to, to un- if you want to make sense of the things that you talked about and the world around you, you've got to understand yourself. So with that renewed clarity now, Darren, you know, like, 
looking back at, you know, now when you're kind of coming into this new role from a management of power dynamics, interpersonal relationships, whatever term you want to call it, what is the first thing that like you'll remember, like you'll tell yourself that morning when you go in or what is one thing that you almost, if it was a sticky note on your dashboard to remind Hmm. you of like, what is it? What's that phrase? Uh, I'll I'll just go back before I answer that question because it is a a question that I've thought about a lot and I've got about another 60 days to think about that before I'm (laughs) uh, handcuffed out of the, (laughs) out of the motherland. Um, Your your point before is, is one of the most, for me, one of the most important points that I've heard uh, uh, ever is before you judge, ask yourself, do I do that? Have I done that? And I think that's absolutely crucial uh, because I never used to do that. I'd be like, why the fuck is he doing that? Excuse me. No, you're why, why, you know, why would he be doing that? What a dickhead. And I would never think, yeah, I wouldn't do that. And after a period of self-evaluation, yeah, I absolutely do. And, and since, since I've left, um, since I've left Arsenal, I've had any number of, messages from people saying, you know, you're better off out of there. And your point early on about shaking the tree, it has shaken the tree because it's amazing how many friends you've got when you're, you know, you're the director of performance at Arsenal and uh, it, however it came out, that's not for me to, um, uh, that it came out sort of in the, in the, the media or the Twitter or whatever you want to call it, um, the number of people that have ju- just dropped off the tree is quite staggering, um, and which is ultimately a, an absolutely outstanding thing because oh, it does, as you said earlier, oh, in, in no way was it anything but a blessing. Um, uh, I saw that with, just to go back another step before I answer your question, with, do, yeah. uh, my mum my died in 2007 after a 13-year battle with cancer and uh, the people that surrounded um, my dad in the first two months was just extraordinary. Uh, in the next six months, they all dropped away, you know, and, and that his grieving wasn't any less. Um, and in fact, it, it often increases, as you know, um, in that in that sort of period afterwards. Yet the people dropped away, and that was my first sort of lesson that um, you know people are there when uh, uh, when it suits them, and not necessarily when it uh, when it suits the other person, you know, and not, not there for the right reason. So that's, that's been a, a great thing to shake the tree and something which uh, ultimately, you know, I, I certainly won't forget. But what am I going to learn? Well, um, what I want to do is what I'm seeking now is to be emotionally invested in a group of people. Um, so, what I don't want to do is I don't want to um, – uh, I had had opportunities. I had a, a big opportunity to be part of a, a multi-franchise ownership in the US and it would have been the ultimate career success that anybody looking from the outside uh, in would have said, as you said earlier, that's, that's the job I wanted. Um, but I turned it down because I, I couldn't go through with it would have been quadruple the money, maybe even more, in fact, um, that I was on. Um, but I turned it down because I just couldn't uh, go through what I went through 
um, at, at Arsenal again with with a group of people that um, you know you just struggled for whatever reason to connect with. So what I'll be uh, I don't know that it'll be the yellow sticky note, um, but it'll be behaviours, something around changing behaviours. That will be the um, we we developed a a three word sort of uh, strategy um, mantra, if you like, at Arsenal, which was uh, be aggressive, one message and connections. And all of our decisions, we wanted to relate back to those three things. Um, I probably pushed on the staff the aggression thing a bit too much because that's my nature. Um, I would not do that um, again and and would... would uh, Try and immerse myself a little bit more in the, in the, um, uh, I guess emotional needs of the staff. In fact, I'm just thinking out loud here, Brett. So forgive forgive me on this, but um, I think I did that pretty well. And asked what I what I would do with a with a group of staff that I'm working working I'm about to work with. I should say, is to um, uh, probably get to know them a little bit better outside of. Um, outside of the the four walls of the of the facility, and uh, really get emotionally invested and and just be all in in the in the in the full environment. I'm talking about the history of the place, the um, you know the um, why the club that I'm going Melbourne has is not been as successful as they should be over the last forty years, and and how I can go about changing that. So I would probably try and immerse myself a little bit more and you might think that's a bit risky, but I think that's the only way um, I really operate well is if I'm emotionally connected to the people around me. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. And I mean, I I asked you that question because I'm genuinely interested because I know and I want to think of a way to put this as succinctly as possible. One thing that's helped me as a coach actually, and I talked about this on a previous podcast is owning a business, which is something I never really thought I'd do, but inevitably I've, I've hired some people that have, they, they don't know anything about this field, right? They're people that help me manage other logistics and things like that. But it, it made me have to constantly find new ways to filter, you know, what my message was so that I didn't have to keep explaining certain things within the company and mission and vision statements are fine, but they can be opaque sometimes, you know? And so uh, like when people would ask me, well, what's your book about, right? Like somebody at a conference would be like, well, what's your book about? Why should I read it? You know? And I just constantly had to find a way to whittle it down. And so for me, I found that whether it's coaching, whether it's business, whether it's life, my yellow sticky note thing is more successful interventions are the result of more successful interactions. And that could be interactions with others, right? That could be interactions, understanding the environment, the context, the antecedents and everything that something takes place in. So when somebody says, Hey coach, how should I deal with this scenario? I go, well, that's kind of like reaching out to a doctor and saying, I'm sneezing. What should I take? I go, I need, I, we need more context, right? <laughs> because like political skill and power dynamics and communication isn't just about competency in a work relevant situation. It's also what, what's gone on in the temporal context. What, what have the interact, what's the history of the place been like? Because everybody views things a different way for a reason. And just like programming, right? Like there's not one program that's going to work for everybody. Such is the case with influence tactics and power dynamics and change. And as you go through the marketing research, what I found interesting, Darren, is you know, marketing is the study and management of exchange relationships. And it's something that despite being a term that we like hate 
and strength and conditioning because we're kind of this count, we're this culture of counter signaling. Anything that seems like sales or marketing or ugh, like we don't want any part of it. But the reality is you can learn so much from that because think about an advertisement. They might have 10 to 30 seconds, sometimes more, to explain to an extremely general demographic about what something is and why they need it. And I actually think, you know, I personally have learned a lot from that field of like, how can I gain more clarity as a communicator? So that now, now I'm the one rambling, but that was just something that I felt like I wanted to share uh, on my end that helped me get better at feeling like, all right, what am I trying to say? And what is this about? Does any of that resonate at all? Yeah. And, and here's the thing, Brett, is I think too few people in our field will go and do that. They'll go to a a sports science or strength and conditioning conference and they'll hear who, whom they consider to be an expert in the field say, um, you know, this is how I prevent hamstring injuries or this is how I get uh, so-and-so to run faster. Um, but so too few people will look outside our industry. Now, let me get this straight. When, when I hear people who just talk about uh, other industries and who have had no skin in the game and have had haven't had to deal with an NFL athlete with who's surrounded by you know a, a, an ensemble of of hangers on and people feeding uh, him the information that he wants to hear and have to navigate through all that bullshit. Um, then I have an issue with people who haven't had skin in the game. But when you've had skin in the game, like yourself and, and, you know, like there's many good people around there, but then who've gone to seek other avenues and other ways to do things, for example, and, and I'm, I'm just doing a bit of advertising here. So, um, so well, forgive by me. By all but, means, go ahead. Uh, no, well, the, what, what I didn't want to do in coming over to a place like London is go and visit, I don't know, the uh, London Military School or, or – or, um, you know, just just your stock standard sporting type endeavours. So I took myself and just made blind emails to um, Shakespeare's Globe, to Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, to Cirque du Soleil people, to um, anything other than sporting industries. And I have spent the last two years to uh, Google, to Facebook, to Red Bull, to um, all different uh, ways to think and to interact and to communicate and to, uh, to you know, and it's been the the thing that I'll miss most about living in London is being exposed to that diversity of um, of learning opportunities and the ability to to apply that to to my environment is something that someone with a, a PhD in sports science which is what i have and in technology and sports science which is almost about the natural enemy of uh of an acting uh place like rada um it's just been the best learning experience or one of the best learning experiences of my life to be exposed to this many different sort of people and and i leaned on obviously the arsenal name to do that um but it 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 really did open my eyes to a whole range of different ways to communicate and uh, and I think your marketing example is absolutely spot on. Um, we too often, uh, and I think it's died down a little bit, mainly because um, it, it, people are magnifying it and, and shining a light on it. This, um, uh, you do Nordics, you do RDLs, you're an idiot, no, you're an idiot sort of 
Twitter wars. Maybe I just I just don't engage in them or don't even look at them anymore. But it seems to be dying down, which is a good thing, because we ought to be promoting the industry a lot more than what we are. And people need to be a bit more well rounded than you know, the, uh, the, be a, a, a lot more of a generalist. And the only way you can do that is by not just sticking to your particular area, which might be, um, you know, strength or conditioning or power. Go and have a look at some some different industries. Don't go too far. Um, don't go and look at how they make, I don't know, candy floss and try and relate <laughs> that back to, to uh, but, but certainly uh, expand your knowledge a little bit because, uh, undoubtedly that's helped me and and the people that I respect in the industry it's a common thread with all of them yeah you touch on a good point with the the internet stuff a, a while ago I shared something on Instagram it was uh, Paul Graham's hierarchy of disagreement and on the bottom of the pyramid is you know name calling like sounds like something you're an asshat or you're an idiot you know which is not, it seemed like for a while there 90 percent of online discussion with with strength coaches you know and then the top the classy way to to really you know provide discourse or disagreement is actually refuting the central point right like and saying hey i don't understand these three aspects can we talk about it more and that happens so little in snc or performance culture which is interesting because it kind of ties in with something i know you want to talk about and i want to talk about as well is the, the idea of high performance at what costs. Now, w- where this ties in for me is I feel like sometimes when you get so far down a rabbit hole of myopic kind of disagreement or debate when you're in your field, you forget kind of what you look like on the outside. Uh, you know, meaning hmm. that I, I've been in situations where I've had the opportunity to go speak for a company or what have you. And they're like, oh, you're a strength coach. So you're a weight room guy or you're, you know, so you're like one of these um, drill sergeants that kind of yells at people to get in better shape or, oh, you're one of people don't really know what we do outside of our environment. And if they do, it's pretty vague. And I find that that gives us a lot. Um, it kind of strips us of our power a little bit because the roles and the jobs and everything that we do is not taken that seriously by people that ultimately can make the decisions that influence our careers. And we're already seeing this in the United States. You know, we're seeing strength and conditioning in the, in the collegiate realm get stripped of some of its power. Now it's going to have to answer to more and more people. Uh, we're seeing more and more regulation. And not that there shouldn't be regulation. There's been some abhor- abhorrent things going on. But I almost think, high per, like, is it high performance, high professionalism, you know, or high perception that we should be trying to achieve here? Because I think professionalism overall in the industry is not kind of where it needs to be. I don't think that if you, if you ask 10 people in your neighborhood that are not in our field what a strength and conditioning coach does, you know, would they even have really any idea or are they just going to jump right to, oh, they're weight room people or even a performance manager, right? Like the vagaries around that, like... So what are your thoughts on that? When you say high performance at what cost, how does that tie in not only to what you have experienced thus far, Darren, but like where you think we need to go with how we present ourselves in totality going forward? I think there's a, there's a, a bunch of layers uh, or a bunch of angles we can, we can go down with this. And so we'll touch on it and see where it takes us. Sure. Um, the first cost is your personal cost. So it's high performance and, and you've spoken about this often enough and we probably don't need to go on it too much, but the badge of honour of I'm the first one there and I'm the last one to leave and I've been to a bunch of different NFL clubs where you speak to the strength coach, what time do you get in? I get in at five. Why do you get in at five? Well, I, I lift myself then and then the coaches like to lift at six, so I get in at six and I supervise them. You, you do what? You 
you, you, what, you spot the coaches? How is that uh, in any way improving our field? Like how – I just – you know, and I, ha- I heard that at, at club after club. You know, that's, that's – no, they like that. They like us when we're there. Okay, so do you – you know, and I've been guilty of this in the past, so please, uh, uh, you know, understand I, I know what it's like. But um, so you don't see your kids, you don't – you know, because you're, you're counting out bench press on the – the fourth uh, quarterback coach is that is that what's happening here? Um, so uh, you know, at what cost are you willing to go to to um, you know that that doesn't present our industry in any way, shape, or form in a in a good light? So there's the high performance and the, the personal cost associated with that. You know, NBA, the uh, the number of travelling days. A good friend of mine, Phil Coles, worked for San Antonio Spurs. Ultimately, uh, said that he, he was away for about 170 odd days uh of the year during the season and then that doesn't even include at the end of the season uh when he went and visited the play you know the facilities that these players were working at so there's that cost then there's the the cost of the perception and high perception because i used to think and i I really did used to think until probably recently that if i just did my job and was the best around at doing my job, at reducing injury rates, at make, making players more resilient, making players more robust, then the work would come and didn't necessarily worry about perception or anything like that. And that's just, you know, your point about if I walked, I'm living in an apartment block, if I walked down to around the people around here and said, what was a high performance manager you do? They would have no idea. It's not that they would just say, are you the weight guy, weight room guy? They would have no idea. So what is a Strength coach, well, they just kind of yell at people to squat and, and bench press. So I think as an industry, the cost that we're um, uh, creating um, or, or, or exaggerating is that, is that poor perception. We have people, for example, I've had arguments with coaches recently, and by coaches I mean you know, managers and, and um head coaches where they say, I've been, I've been doing this for 20 years. No, you haven't. You've been a player for 10 years and you've been coaching for 10 years. So you've been coaching for 10 years. I've been looking at, and this is not me, this is just an example. I've been looking after performance for 24 years. Why? Because I was never good enough to be a player. So my focus has been on performance. But I've got PhDs and coaching certificates. So we as an industry are more qualified than just about everybody else that's in the building. You know, if you think of the commercial manager or the um, football director or the, they don't have the, the qualifications that often the, the strength coaches, conditioning coaches uh, do yet uh, our industry is not, not seen in any way, shape or form as making, we are seen as very disposable. So I think that's something as an industry we need to, uh, I would say protect, but I don't think we've, we've got it at a level that, that we could, you know, conceivably call it protection. We need to grow it and we need to, to, as an industry, come together rather than try and strip each other apart so we can take better jobs. You know, we, we just need to, to uh, generate more awareness and perception about what we do and the quality that we bring to the table, not just 
as, as we've discussed, X's and O's. So I think the cost of high performance, and the, the final one, while, I'm, while I've got your breath, <laughs> the final one is, the, is the, the, this concept of the high performance at what cost, uh, the marginal gains sort of, I think we do a massive disservice to ourselves when we say, you know what, you, you're going to play better against the New York Giants on the weekend if you sleep on this mattress and stare at this wallpaper that's been specially designed to induce sleep and this mattress has been specially made to, uh, to uh, bring on sleep and to tell me how much you slept the night before a game. Like, what's a crock of shit? And, <laughs> no, listen, you're tipping uh, a sacred cow there going after marginal gains. Tell I Keep going. I can't wait to hear this. Go. Ah, oh, look, do you, coaches and athletes who've been around a long time, they know, you don't even have to be around a long time, they know um, what a marginal gain is. A marginal gain in, in uh, I'll, I'll, the NBA is learning to hit your free throws. A marginal gain in uh, the NFL, and, and I'm by no means an expert in, in any of these things, is the field goal kicker, the punter, the, the quarterback learning to throw properly. In AFL, it's kicking your goals. In, in soccer, it's, create, it's uh, converting your chances. They're the marginal gains. Now, of course, I'm not an idiot. Of course, getting better sleep is going to help. But you try and tell a... 21-year-old uh, African soccer player to get off their phone for two hours before sleep or to wear blue glasses while they're on their phone while they're trying to impress their girlfriend for two hours before sleep or try and tell an African to jump in an ice bath when the 10 steps that he takes from the dressing room to the ice bath are the 10 most stressful steps he takes all week and try and tell him that's helping recovery, I mean, please. So the, these are all uh, variables that you should consider, but only when you've got everything else within your program, right? So, look, I'm all for, um, I won't use the term marginal gains, but I'm all for trying to get advantages over opponents um, and I'll do anything and and the number of, uh, messages that I've received from from players uh, in the past two months is hopefully, you know, testament to that. I'll do anything to help my athletes improve, but it's got to be within the right context. I mean, some of the things that that I'm sure you get presented with and that I've been presented with as the difference between uh, Arsenal or Port Adelaide or Melbourne winning and losing is just is dumbfounding. And some of the articles that you read about this is why so and so won. I don't know Wimbledon or the Tour de France or the the the, the Super Bowl is because they were um, carrying around uh, their own pillows. Uh, I, I think there's a bit of job creation going on there. If I'm honest, Brett. Yeah, well, I better I mean, shut up. I better shut up now. No, you shouldn't. Like, if you shut up, people won't listen to the podcast because that's what they come <laughs> for. And and listen, there there's a reality of that. I think people need to understand the underlying strategy. You know, there's going to be news outlets and media outlets that share articles like the one thing the Chicago Cubs did or something like that. Yeah. Because inherently it's contentious and it gets them clicks or views. And that's what's always funny to me about our field is they won't agree with something. And so they'll copy it and paste it all over and be like, what a crock of shit. 
And ultimately the outlet that produced that's like laughing because they're like, thank you for sharing our content. You know, yes. Yes. <laughs> that's exactly. all, that's all we wanted, you know, but then there's somebody on the outside and, and usually it's a sport coach that read it and they're like, ah, oh, we've got to do this. And then the strength coach is beating their head against the table. Like, no, no, we don't. <laughs> it just, that's why it's cyclical, right? Like that's why it's the perception and power dynamics and pop the three P's. But I think you outlined that really well. You said, hey, high performance at what cost? You said there's a personal cost, right? That whole martyrdom, uh, counter signaling culture. I'm a true blue. I don't need money. I don't need this. Um, you mentioned the the uh, uh, professional cost, right? That idea of, hey, like we're, we're devaluing some other things about this too. And then there's the perceptual cost of it's really easy to fall into these traps of, as you put it, you know, job creation and those kinds of things. What I struggle with, Darren, is, no matter what I seem to, how I try to communicate this stuff, um, I, it's almost like there's a certain population that just doesn't want to hear this stuff. You know, like yes. no matter no matter what, like even if you dropped the number one gold nugget possible on this podcast, like they're still going to skip over it to go listen to why they should like run around with bungee pants or why they should do this. And yes. <laughs> we think of like loss aversion. Ultimately, if you were going to consolidate what we've spoken about, and this is super on the spot, and that's fine that it may change. If somebody chooses not to like listen to this or even consider it, and I know you'll say, well, I, you know, I don't want to do it because I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm not the end all be all, but I'm just saying like generally, if somebody chooses to skip over this podcast and everything you shared so far today, what, what's the potential consequence for the young coach that like needs this beat over their head and they, they just don't get it? What's the potential consequence if they don't at least consider some of these things that you're talking about? I think um, yeah, it's a good question. What would be the consequence? I think uh, ultimately the job satisfaction would be less because uh, I think if now would it? Uh, I think the, your your ability to um, to uh, navigate the industry would be compromised. Because I think uh, if you if you don't want to look, get your head up out of the books a little bit and off the internet, and I don't mean by that you know screen time or anything like that. It's just mm-hmm. what's often being spout, spouted on there. Then um, and not be a little bit more self aware and a little bit aware of the pitfalls of the industry, then um, you'll end up falling foul to it, and you'll end up um, uh, being a slave to it rather than um, trying to get the most out of it for yourself, for your family, for um, the athletes that you're working with. I think that would be the most likely consequence. You might be successful in your chosen discipline, but I don't think ultimately um, you'd be able to, uh, to get the most out of yourself or the industry. That's what I'd like to think anyway. Yeah, no, I, th- I, I would agree. And for anybody listening, you know, I hope that you guys find this stuff uh, not only compelling and helpful, but I hope that you share it with somebody you know that right now is kind of almost in that honeymoon phase. And it doesn't even have to be a young coach. There's a lot of people that go and they're just, they're, they're ignorant. And I mean that respectfully in this context to some of these things that can happen. And we've got to talk about it more. You've got to look at what steps are you taking to kind of foolproof for your family, even with your, even if you're with an organization right now, and I hope some of you are, that values you tremendously, that listens to your input, just understand it can all change in a heartbeat and you still have to 
Consider contingencies, no different than you do in your programming. Everything could be going well, guys are getting stronger, but you still have an emergency action plan if somebody goes down. So make sure that as you're listening to Darren, as you're replaying this, that you have that emergency action plan for what you are doing and where you're at. Darren, I know a lot of this stuff has been super, um, you know, just difficult to talk about in some contexts and it's something that people don't really want to discuss and I just want to thank you for being so open about it especially given the the um, the time frame right like this is still relatively fresh and new and is there anything else that you feel like we didn't discuss that you really want to kind of leave everybody with uh, no I wouldn't be uh, uh, sort of yeah, I wouldn't be arrogant enough to think that I could I could give a message that's not being being. What, what I would say is that if you had have uh, if we had done this podcast, I don't know, let's say a week after the event, you would have got a very different podcast. Podcast, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, the, it certainly it's been a really ordinary time, so uh, a really difficult uh, personal time. Um, so I could only reiterate what you said: have a backup plan. Have a have a safety net from both a practical and a personal level, and uh, continue to to reevaluate um, uh, or, or evaluate yourself, I should say, to see if you're if you're going down the right path, both both personally and professionally, because it's it's super important, and you know it can be taken away at at, at any minute. Critical. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Darren, if people want to reach out to you and, or get a hold of you, like what's, what's the best way just so that they can, and, and we'll put all this in the show notes as always, but uh, is there a preferred medium, whether it's a website, social media, email, whatever, how can they reach out to you? It's probably, um, look, two ways, Twitter and, um, and uh, Hotmail, my Hotmail address, which has been uh, overworked lately because I've got nothing else, but it's uh, Darren, Darren Burgess 25 at hotmail.com um, and happy to chat as always. Uh, really, really happy to, to uh, offer advice or to debate or to, you know, if anybody wants to reach out for any reason at all, no problem at all. Perfect. Well, thanks. And Twitter, Twitter, I think it's Darren Burgess 25, I think is, is the Twitter handle. Yep. There we go. Perfect. Yeah. I double check that. All right. Well, Darren, thank you again. Everybody make sure that you re-listen to this podcast. Five action items. Do not just listen to it. Do not just listen to it. You've got to make sure to take action in a few, uh, few ways. And, uh, if you need help with that, Darren, Darren's open and, and start having these discussions. So Darren, thanks again, my friend. Listen, one more thing before you go, and I know a lot has been crammed into this episode, but I want to make sure I let you know about my YouTube channel. So I didn't do anything on YouTube for the longest time, uh, but per your guys' requests and per some folks that just really wanted some more visual content, whether that be uh, just tips, advice, strategies, or even visuals of the type of coaching that I do, live events and workshops, I have created a YouTube channel that showcases even more in-depth information that complements the podcast, the book, and everything we're doing at Art of Coaching. So if you found value in this resource or you're enjoying the content, please make sure you visit my YouTube channel, subscribe, and we're going to continue to try to put out a wide variety of things that whether you're a coach, whether you're a personal trainer, whether you're a CEO, whether you're a manager, all in some way, shape, or form help you better interact with people and figure out how to work on bridging the gaps in your own development. So again, 
Check out the YouTube channel. Check out anything else that we do at artofcoaching.com. And thanks again for tuning into the show. I appreciate each and every one of you.